M&K Talk YA now presents Obsidio Part 2 of The Illuminae Files by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. Welcome back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our podcast where we talk all about the latest YA fiction. And this week we finished Obsidio, which is the third book of the Illuminate Files. Yeah, and this was another sci-fi series that we read. The only other one we read was Red Rising. I think that was the only like sci-fi book really we read. Yeah. Man, okay, what did you think of the ending? I liked it. <laughs> But I Can have I guess what you're gonna say? a lot of questions. Go ahead. What, what, what else okay. do you think you're gonna say? I think you're gonna say that it ended too perfectly. Yeah, I I mean yes, because I always say that, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of obvious. But I also I just feel like there were also like some things that were I don't even know if they were resolved or if they weren't resolved. Like I'm still kind of confused about how it's Ezra's mom who's the bad guy. Yeah. Like, was that is that just like a funny coincidence? I sort of feel like that wasn't really addressed fully. <laughs> addressed at all? That bothered me. Yeah. Also, I was thinking about it because you know how when Ezra was just basically we're hiding from my mom because she's a bad person at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then we find out that she's the bad guy behind all of this. But he didn't know that. Yeah. Eventually, we find that. So, what did he think? she was before did he think she just worked at Bytech and therefore was a bad person or did he that was my question too like did he even know she worked for Bytech before and if not like what was because he kind of made it sound like he was like there's a one in six thousand chance it would be her to make the decision but it's also like if she was such a bad person before you really just that does that really just mean she worked at Bytech because that doesn't seem like a big enough reason to go and hide from somebody I agree I wanted I wanted there to be a worse a, a worse reason for him to hate her like I wanted them to have this weird history or something where she did something horrible yeah like more personal like something that you know like raising him or to his dad or I don't know because that's a drastic step to run away from your mom to another planet and to not be able to consider going to college because your mom is out there and you don't want her to know you exist and all you can say is that she's a bad person because she works at Bytech and you don't even know that she's like a higher up at Bytech who's like it would almost make sense if she had like some bigger mission with all of this all of these projects and he knew about that or you know like it like didn't line up to me to be like she's a bad person and also I had no idea that she was doing all this bad stuff. <laughs> I agree 100%. There wasn't enough closure. Like we didn't even see what happened to the Bytech people people other than their stocks fell which like yeah okay that's something but like I want jail time yeah and I want I like I want to know more about what this other like how everyone responded if it was I don't like I was I liked the action adventure part of the story but I didn't feel satisfied with the overarching conclusion to justice especially they went through all this trouble of compiling all this stuff that happened and there was like really serious bad stuff a ton of people died and yeah whatnot I wanted more justice and it didn't feel like that was really yeah fair at the end but your favorite artificial intelligence is still out there yeah I know and you know what I have conflicting feelings about this okay tell me more so I obviously I love I love Aiden and I was happy that he came back but at the same time I think my biggest problem with this series is they keep killing off characters and then bringing them back five seconds later. Mm-hmm. And I I really don't like when authors do that. I feel like if you're going to kill someone, kill them. I also feel like that works maybe once, but you're right. It happened like 15 times with Aiden alone. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, once you establish in a book that you're okay with bringing back characters like you're willing to bring them back to life and do whatever it takes to bring them back to life for me it cheapens the book because then there's no sense of urgency you're not fearful for any of the characters anymore like if you know that they can just create a wormhole and bring them back or um you know switch Aiden back on and and he's back alive then or like pulls someone from the other dimension or whatever yeah yeah it like it makes me stop caring and so as much as I love this series by 
by the end of it, I I wasn't afraid for anyone. I almost stopped caring a little bit because even when like Nick got shot out of the sky by that warlock, mm-hmm. I was just like, well, I'm sure he's not dead. Like, well, okay, they also <laughs> talked about his parachute so much yeah, the second that's half, true. but. I couldn't remember where it came from. I noticed it a lot before he was in the plane. Like, they kept talking about it. I was like, that is definitely going to come into play and save his life at some point. But I couldn't remember yeah. where it started from. I just rem- I, don't I just started, like, noticing when people were, like, making fun of him for still having it. But then I was like, <laughs> why does he have it in the first place? I couldn't remember. Yeah. Do you remember? No, I don't. But I did look up if it's possible to parachute from space. <laughs> and? And there was a guy named Felix Baumgartner who did a free fall sky jumping dive from 120,000 feet, which, okay, that's still- How long does still... that take? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> there would have to be some physics involved in that. But I guess the point of that was that he was still well below the, um, the height that is considered space. Like he was still within the atmosphere or whatever. Yeah. So basically they were just saying, they were asking the question like, could it be possible for someone to skydive from space to the earth? And the answer is maybe, but probably not. So I was a little bit confused though, because they also were in that ship like attacking the planet Carenza. Oh yeah. Right. So how were they technically in space still or were they like just like airplane level or I mean you know I wasn't exactly sure because the picture they looked like they were really close to earth kind of where it said they must have been because the thing is that like what they were saying was the speed at which you travel it's equivalent to the speed at which like meteors burn up so like when you're entering the earth's atmosphere like a big problem is like things burn up right so you need some kind of protection and so they were saying like I guess technically it could be possible but the but no one thinks that you could design a suit that would allow you to do that okay and there's also some other things like you'd have to have some kind of propeller or some something to propel you outside of the orbit or else you would just orbit <laughs> like you know if you were yeah you just get caught up in the orbit and then yeah. yeah so yeah there's a lot of physics involved and the short and short is I guess in the sci-fi novel sure anything's possible but for us probably not but also okay so let's just say hypothetically they were low enough in the atmosphere that it was like a plane but they kept making fun of Nick for having this parachute so what did, did he, like, catch Ezra in the air? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, because they were like, you realize you'd be parachuting in space. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. I was a little bit I confused by yeah. that, too. That was my whole thing about, like, this thing is too perfect of an ending. Like, all of our six power couples survived, which even, is great. Like, even I a little girl. Die, but... Even a little girl oh, who got no. shot in no man's land in front of everyone still somehow she magically still survived. survived that, too. And Aiden is back. Yeah, kind of. I like how we discover his full name. (laughs) Did you catch that? Well, it stands for... You mean what it stands for? Or Yeah. Yeah, I saw that at some point. I forget. What was it's it? It's like Artificial Intelligence Defense Analytics Network. Yeah. Aiden. Oh, man. That was... Ooh. And that was the other thing. Like, I was so... I loved when Aiden, like, shut down inexplicably in the middle and then came back on. And when Katie was like, we can't trust you. And, he, and then he was like, you're right, but you can always trust me to be me. Yeah. <laughs> And then at the end, like, he had this great moment where he was going to blow himself up with the Churchill. Yep. And it was great. But then, of course, it's at the end, you know, there's, oh, Ella implanted a self-repair chip, so he's back. And it was just like, I don't know, it was too perfect for me. And I almost feel like, what's the point of him even being back if he's not even going to tell anybody? Because wasn't he sort of like, I'm just, I'm not going to ruin their lives again. I'm just going to be out here thinking. <laughs> Just by myself, doing puzzles. (laughs) Just trying to figure out how to murder some more people. I did like, minus him coming back at the very end, I did like his growth throughout the series and sort of how he acknowledged he was a monster, but that that was okay. Like, I mean, like kind of like him coming to terms with what that meant. Yeah, because at the moment he was like, I am afraid of what I'm becoming. You know, like, he was very much aware that what he was doing was wrong, I think. Like, he started to realize that, I think. But I think it also, I mean, I still go back to the whole, I'm sort of glad he killed those people. Not glad he killed them, but knowing, I mean, he made the hard decision that no one, no human would ever want to make. But Mm -hmm. if every single person on the ship would have died two days out, 
I, like, he kind of did do the right things. Like, I'm sort of still in this, I think he should communicate better. And But in some ways, I think he made the hard choices and kind of relieved some of that burden off the people who might have had to make those same choices. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Because then it's like you can blame the AI, not yourself. You don't have to make that choice. And he was useful when he came back, like when he gassed the mutineers with carbon monoxide so Winifred could take over. Yeah. I mean... The other thing, here's my other big question mark still, though. Okay. So, beginning of book one, we use a bioweapon on Carenza. Yeah. That's part of our whole issue in book one and why Aiden kills off half the ship, or half the, whatever. All those people. But when we're back on Carenza, there's like no disease spreading that people are worried about or there's a lot of death and destruction in other ways, but there's no like, yeah, I thought they released a bioweapon on the planet. How is that just fine now? (laughs) That's a really good question. (laughs) Oh my God. I have no idea. I don't even remember them addressing it. No, that's what I mean. Same with, it kind of reminds me of the aliens, the Lanama in book two, although at least we addressed that I think the one group of people killed them all off. But it sort of was like half of the problem in book two and then just not an issue anymore. Yeah. And it was such a big issue that all of a sudden just became minimal. Yeah. Where we were like, wait, did they just kill them all? Like, we're not, oh. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good point. I don't know. So I feel like I really liked lots and lots of parts of this and I like the way the story was told and I liked some the characters and I even like the how the three books were different and what they were kind of addressing but there were certain things that were tied up too nicely or glossed over too much that I wanted to dig into more and I didn't want it to be to your point I I stopped trusting when people died that they were really dead yeah and then and then you lose the urgency like the whole last battle scene I was just kind of like okay like I know what's gonna happen because like, everyone's going to make it out. Except for, I guess, Sierra Bowl was one of the casualties that I did feel badly about. Yeah. Whenever um, she gets... Well, sort of anyone outside of the core, we could lose. So I wasn't sure. I was almost yeah. more... I was, like, more concerned for people that I didn't really even like because I didn't know if they were going to make it. <laughs> right. So I was... I I think probably also, the saddest... Sorry, I have one more question that just fell on my mind. Is Nick out of the gang now? Or now that he's back? Okay, that and- was my other question. <laughs> that was the other thing that didn't tie up at all. Like They're like, you can't leave the gang <laughs> ever. <laughs> and they make that such a big thing. Like, oh, to leave the gang, you leave feet first or whatever. And yeah. then they just never addressed it. Yeah, I would maybe buy it if they never went back to the main universe. Like, maybe there were none of those gang members on Carenza or whatever. But then he's, like, publicly announcing that he's back in town. And, yeah. yeah. And I get that his uncle and many of the other House of Knives members died on the ship. But at the same time, like, there's a whole network of them. Yeah, they're definitely bigger than that one ship. I mean, at the very least, his dad is still somewhere else. I feel like there should have been a prologue almost. No, no, no. An epilogue. Yeah. You know, to be like, years later, this is what is going on. Hannah gets a new jumpsuit and (laughs) Asha and Katie are dyeing their hair fun colors. And Also, why were they talking about Hannah getting married as a joke at the end? I was like, where is this coming from? (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea. But yeah, it was just like, I mean, they had that scene where they're all together at that dinner, but... There were still too many questions. And before we met Reese, I was really thinking that there was going to be more of a romantic connection between Katie's cousin and Nick's cousin. Oh. Between. Like, before we even Asha. started this book, I thought, because we kept talking, you know, we talked about Asha, and I I think I predicted at one point, like, we're going to go back, and she's going to be fine, and we're, she's going to show us what's on Carenza. I did not predict Reese at all. I had so a feeling. Asha and Ella were going to get together. Yeah. I thought maybe. Oh, I would have liked that. Because Ella is sort of a, for how happy this book ends with all these couples, Ella sort of has no love interest, and I sort of was hoping that Ella and Asha would somehow something would happen there before I knew about Reese. Oh that would have been great and also just like get some more representation in like there's three couples here like they're all heterosexual I don't know yeah it would have been a nice ad and it's I think it's cool that Ella has 
physical disabilities but is still like part of the crew but then I also felt like by excluding her from like the romantic side of things a little bit it was sort of like but she's still a secondary main character or something I I totally agree it's super unfair but I really one of my favorite scenes was that moment between her and Isaac Grant oh yeah I I like that he kind of became the dad of the whole group, but I sort of wanted I to he- see more of him too because it it almost felt weird. It almost felt sudden because he hadn't mm-hmm. been dad like, and then all of a sudden he was like, "I'm gonna bring all of these kiddos into my fold." But I just liked that he was very clear to her, like, "I respect what you can do, and I admire how smart you are." And just because you know you are in a wheelchair and you can't talk. And, you know, you have to use your computer to communicate a lot of the times. He was like, people look at you like you're not as smart as you are, but I see you and I I know how smart you are and I want you to know that I know that. I thought that was really important. Yep. Okay. And this is my last complaint. Okay. Hannah eventually did react to, like, her dad dying, but she never really reacted as much as I thought. Like, she wasn't as impacted by her ex-boyfriend sacrificing himself for her at the end. Slash, he was... She was actually in love with him at the beginning of the second book. And I know he did some bad stuff, but I feel like she didn't really process or address that as much as she should have. Yeah, but I mean, she gets that message from him, right? That illustration where he's like, live a life worth dying for. Was that from Was that from? I thought that was from... Wasn't that from Nick to Hannah or was that to Katie? That was from... Yeah, that was Hannah to Katie, I think. Oh. Right? I don't even... I don't... I actually could be making things up. I just meant like... Jackson just, like, he died, and then we're all like, Oh, okay. Jackson! Yeah, I was talking about oh, that ex-boyfriend. Okay. Hannah just being, like, unaffected by Jackson sacrificing himself at the end. Yes. Rel- relatively unaffected, given that she had, at the beginning of the second book, seemed <laughs> really crazy about him. That's a really good point. It was like, she just really moved on fast from that. <laughs> and I get, like, the like her and Nick had a real connection and stuff, but I just thought that it still should have been, she still should have, like, grieved somewhat or dealt yeah. with his betrayal more or, like... These are all really strong points. <laughs> but, I, I mean, you know, I like to criticize a book because I just want more things at the end. But I really enjoyed reading it. And I, I would recommend, like, I still think James, who likes sci-fi, would like it and... I think it was just a really cool way to tell the story and, you know, part of my frustration is I want to know more about these characters because I did start to like them. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I also just wish that there had been maybe a little less characters because, like you said, like, we're getting them all confused and then especially at the end, like, during all the action sequences, they just kind of throw out random people who I know they need because they need to get the job done, but at the same time, like, I wish we could have spent more time focusing on some individuals. Like, Winifred McCall. I want to know more about her. Like, Yep. Yeah, like at the end there was someone in the chat and I was like, I don't even know who that guy is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there were too many peripheral characters who just didn't really come into play all that much. Or even mm-hmm. like Bruno, the one who takes the Thermex and... Yeah. Oh, I actually had a lot of questions about what happened to some of backstory and post-story for some of the other people we saw in Carenza. Like Joran and... Yeah, his family. Yeah. We and... never learned about that. And I wanted to see if we did an epilogue. I'd want to see what happened to... Hypatia as she grew up or whatever. Oh, I know. I, j- I just want more. Um, even Ben Garner. Yeah. I liked Ben Garver. I also, I loved the scene at the end when um, they get invaded and Ben tells everyone to surrender and Winifred just loses her freaking mind and attacks him because he, he wasn't following orders. But then you learn that he actually was following orders yeah. and they had it all planned and they were like, okay, this would be good diversion. I really liked that. Except it felt really similar to what happened on the planet when Reese turned... Oh, when uh, Reese turned... When Reese turned Asha in, yeah. but it was also, like, fake. To plant the virus on the palm pad. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you... Were you fooled by any of these? I was fooled by Ben Garver, for sure. I have been skeptical of everything pretty much <laughs> since Ezra came back to life. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. If I came back to life, you know what I mean. But I, um, yeah, I kind of thought that I didn't know. I thought that, yeah, I thought a lot of this was going to happen. Or I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but I didn't believe that it was all real either, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't know that he was turning her in because they needed the Palm Pilot, but I was like, this has to, he didn't just change his mind that much because his friend died, even though his friend died. That was the one thing where I was like, because he was really close to Duke and he died really horrifically. And so at first I thought, 
At first, I was fooled a little bit because I was like, oh, his friend died and like, that's a big problem. But I mean, but they had just been like, he had just killed for her. I was like, there's no way if she he's going to suddenly be like, it's your fault. Like, I just I didn't quite buy that. I almost felt like there should have been more time in between and then I might have fallen for it. But also, I just was skeptical of everything. Everything they wanted me to believe. I kept being like, this probably isn't right. Like, yeah. If anything, I probably, things that weren't tricks, I probably thought were going to be tricks. (laughs) So I did some research this week. Okay. I was going to do, I had researched previously people who made like sacrifices to save others and then I got bored. (laughs) So I researched, so I I was thinking about the scene where um, at the very beginning of this book when Ben Garver actually stages a coup to take over commands of the Mao. Mm-hmm. And he shoots Sierra Bull, who was, I liked her. Even though she, she did too. do some questionable things. Let's not forget. But she kept trying to make the right decision, which doesn't mean she always did. But I Agreed. felt like she was, I respected, she was in a hard place. and yeah. So I researched famous mutinies. Okay. Because I was like, ooh, this is kind of a cool topic. Yeah, that sounds fun. And Ben, like, totally stages a mutiny and takes over the ship. So, okay. This is from listfirst.com. The one, so all the mutinies are on ships. I tried to find mutinies that weren't on ships, and they're all on ships. So, and these are water, water ships, not spaceships. (laughs) We haven't had very many spaceship (laughs) mutinies yet, but. Not yet. Wait till 2750 or whatever this (laughs) book is from. Um, okay, so the first one I'll tell you about was the mutiny on the Russian battleship Potomkin. So this happens in 19... 19- Wait, what was the name of it? Potomkin? 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 That's such a funny name. Potomkin, <laughs> yeah. I like it. Well, if you think that's funny, you're going to love this because the mutiny was triggered by a dispute over soup. <laughs> <laughs> Man, oh man. <laughs> Apparently, the chef was making some borscht for the crew, and the meat that he was using was riddled with maggots, and the ship's- How is that his fault? Well, it's not, but <laughs> you still shouldn't serve maggoty borscht. Oh, I guess that's a good point. <laughs> the problem, though, was that the ship's doctor said that they weren't maggots, they were just flies' eggs, and that there wasn't a problem, which- The doctor? <laughs> doctor i feel like oh my goodness yeah i feel like that's not the right call to be making as a doctor no i would agree with that and how are flies eggs better than maggots um they're not they're not they're not i thought about it and they're really not that wouldn't reassure me at all (laughs) i mean i'm not a doctor i'm not a ship's doctor but i think they're equally as bad so and the crew thought so too so (laughs) They sent a man named Valenchuk to go um, meet with the ship's commander, and the commander did not react well to the complaint against the borscht, and he pulled out his gun and he shot Valenchuk dead. <laughs> yeah, talk about like you send back your soup and you get shot. Essentially, that's what happened. So, Note to self, just eat the maggots. <laughs> eat or the, the maggot soup. <laughs> just eat the maggots. <laughs> um, so in retaliation, the crew threw the commander overboard, and shot him before he had a chance to drown, which I don't know what that means. I mean, I feel like drowning would be worse than being shot, but that's just me. I know. Is that is that a nice thing at that point? Or <laughs> I have no idea. So after that happened, there was a man named Matyashenko, and he set up a people's committee to take charge of the vessel, and they sailed um, to a different place where they were given food that didn't have maggots in it, and people brought flowers to give Valenchuk a, f- a funeral. But... The funeral then became a focal point for like retaliation and soldiers began firing on the soldier on the sailors and killed three of them. Wait, and who was who was killing the sailors? Soldiers. Just like on this island? Yeah. Okay. And basically the crew had to abandon the ship in Romania essentially. And this guy who set up this people's committee, Matyashenko, he escaped but then returned under a returned to Russia under a false name two years later, and then he was identified and arrested and eventually was hung. Oh, man. I know. I, I like, felt bad because I was just like, I wouldn't eat maggoty soup, and I, I don't think I deserve to be hung for that. I need, I mean, like, at first I was like, it seems kind of crazy that it was about soup, but then I was thinking, food is one of my main priorities, so that, if I was going to mutiny about something, it would be probably food. be food-related. For sure. Okay, well, this is another one, and I just liked the name of this ship. So it's um, <laughs> the HMS Hermione. Oh. Yeah, 
Like from Harry Potter. Poor Hermione does not have a great namesake because this was one of the most violent mutinies in British naval history. And it was in 1797. So the ship was captained by a man named Hugh Pigot. And he was a notoriously cruel captain. And he was known for just like lashing his crew members for any slight at all. And it says the mutiny was dramatic, but not surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Accurate. So one night, I guess there was a really bad storm and the crew was struggling to bring in the sails and the captain was unhappy with the progress they were making. So he said, he yelled at them and he said, the last man down from securing the sails is going to get flogged. And so the men all rushed to bring these sails in and in the rush to avoid being punished, three men fell to their deaths. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And he had the bodies thrown overboard and then he blamed the rest of the sailors, so everyone got flogged. Just everyone. And so they were really upset about this, as you can imagine. And that night, yeah. several dozen of the sailors stormed the captain's cabin, and they brought with them everything from knives to forks to swords to um, hatchets, like anything they could find. I and... like how it's like hatchets and forks. <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever you can get your Whatever you can on. find. Something useful or a fork. <laughs> You can do a lot of damage with a fork. That's that's fair. So they attacked him and they threw him out of his window alive, but they threw him overboard eventually and he was just completely cut up from all this, from the attack. Mm-hmm. So they realized I'd be, that they... I'd be nervous to plan a mutiny on oh my gosh. ship because if you got caught, this guy's already like... Yeah. He's bad yeah. news. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, I would, I would. what happened. But yeah, that's the thing. It's like, how bad do you have to be treated in order to finally want to do something? I don't know. So, okay. So they realized they couldn't return to British territory. So they set sail for um, some ports that were under Spanish control. And they told them that they just set their commanding officers adrift. <laughs> they didn't mention anything about killing him. So I guess everyone in the crew adopted new identities, but over half of them were eventually captured and um, they were hanged. Okay, so I think the real moral of the story is don't join a ship crew. Just don't go to sea. Don't go to sea. Become yeah. anything else. A, a tailor? A baker? <laughs> a candlestick maker. <laughs> anything. A librarian? A scribe? Do anything except go to sea. Because then I was I trying- actually... I actually looked into being a librarian on a cruise ship once, but... Well, that would be fun. But that's at sea. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Abandoned ship. Abandon that idea. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. Do cruise ships make you eat maggot soup and, and beat you? You know, I didn't know that anyone made you eat maggot soup, so I'm not sure. Oh, <laughs> uh, I hope I never have to find out. Unless you find out the answer is no, then that might be okay. It's, uh, I'm... <laughs> I'm still not comfortable with it (laughs) after reading these stories. So I won't go into detail about this one, but I guess the most famous mutiny at sea was called the Mutiny on the Bounty. It was in 1789. This just made me laugh a little bit, though, because the captain, his name was William Bly. And there was this huge mutiny that happened aboard his ship. But then at the bottom of the article, it says... Bly would go on to weather two more mutinies during his long naval career. And I was like, <laughs> at that point, like, if you have three separate crews mutiny on you during your career as a captain, I feel like that's when you start to tell yourself, okay, maybe I'm the common denominator maybe in this situation. Maybe it is me, yeah. It's me, not them. Although, I guess, based on some of these other stories, if you've had three mutinies who still decide not to kill you, maybe you're like, well... That could be worse. <laughs> they could attack me with forks. Yeah. At least they left the hatchets at home. Okay, so the last one that I thought was really interesting was called It's the Henry Hudson Mutiny. So the British explorer Henry Hudson, he made a lot of uh, voyages to the United States and Canada, and he was constantly trying to find um, this elusive Northwest Passage that everyone, you know, wanted to find back then. Mm-hmm. And so in 1610, he led his ship called the Discovery to uh, modern-day Canada through the frozen waters in an attempt to find, you know, a, a, a new route to Asia. And they um, were able to locate the Hudson Bay, which later became named in his honor. But while they were there, their ship became lodged in ice, and they were forced to spend an entire winter ashore. So by the time ice had finally cleared, it was like early 
1611. So they had been there for a pretty long time. The morale was just extremely low. And he, Hudson, he wanted to continue searching for the passage, but the crew was like, are you kidding me? No, we're not doing this anymore. They were, we're going home. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were convinced that he was hoarding food and they were just starving and they were desperate. So they revolted against him. They commandeered the ship and they forced Hudson, his son, and seven other men into a small boat and they abandoned them in the Hudson Bay. And um, this is kind of awful. So the mutineers, I guess this is karma, but I don't blame them in the slightest. They turned the ship towards England, but along the way... All but eight of them were killed due to disease or by attacks. Attacks from the other people on the ship or from Um, other ships? No, from other countries. So what happened to Hudson and his son and the seven other people? Nobody knows. The fate of him and his fellow castaways remains a mystery. Their bodies were never recovered. So I don't... Ah, man. I, I feel like the moral of the story is just be a good captain. Or just don't go to sea. Stick to, <laughs> stick to tailoring. <laughs> this is actually making me laugh because my cousin is going to be in the Pirates of Penzance this June. <laughs> <laughs> I think, okay, like, okay, to be fair, I think most of the people had at least a legitimate complaint yeah. whether or not it deserved to be mutiny or how you should handle it. I don't know what their other options were in some cases, but in other cases possibly you could still outvote somebody or... I well, like, didn't sailors have rights back then? Because I was trying to look up, like, if they were protected by anything because there has to be a rule to, like, protect sailors from cruel captains. I don't know, But yeah. th- it doesn't seem like there was anything. I couldn't find anything. That's because... Didn't exist. The sea is a crazy place. I mean, there are mermaids, there's freaking <laughs> sirens out there, there's krakens. We only know 5% of what's out there. There's so people I, with um, forks. <laughs> I started volunteering at the Georgia Aquarium, so oh. I had to learn about a lot of things that can kill you at sea this weekend if you touch a fish or something. Oh, so. what, what's, the wor- <laughs> what's the worst fish in the ocean? Well, we didn't actually learn that. The oh. biggest <laughs> fish in the ocean is the whale shark which we have at the Georgia Aquarium. You should come check them out sometime. You have the biggest animal in the ocean in an aquarium? The biggest fish. Oh, oh. (laughs) Oh, That's true. Whales are bigger. Yes. So that's why they actually, when they first saw this fish, they thought it was a whale in part because of the way its mouth is. Most sharks' mouths open differently. It kind of looks like a whale mouth, but also just the size of it was so big. And they don't know much about their reproductive habits, but there was one beached whale shark hmm. that had 300 pups in its what? womb. So, <gasps> isn't that crazy? 300. That's too many sharks. That's a lot of shark babies. And they weren't but the they, cannibalized they, sharks that we learned about? They eat krill. Oh, They're oh. different. Yeah, they eat krill. They, they have 300 rows of teeth and they can't <gasps> chew. That's sad. Their throat is the size of a quarter. What are the teeth for then? I don't, we're not sure. We don't know a lot about them. Huh. That's like such a cruel trick of nature. This is a completely side topic at this point. What did you research this week? Well, first of all, so I was talking about how, so even though we're talking about how it all ended up happy, I was also talking about how these people just have really bad luck earlier. And I was like, that is also unrealistic. Like the amount of bad luck that they've had in this book is kind of crazy. And then I saw an article this morning about, it's titled, Man Who Survived Bear Attack Gets Bitten by a Shark. No. And it's this 20-year-old kid from Colorado. He was boogie boarding in Hawaii, and a shark, a six- to eight-foot tiger shark, like, attacked him on the boogie board and bit his leg. He's fine. He he had some deep cuts, but it wasn't, like, life-threatening or anything. Did he have, like, a seal painted on the bottom of his boogie board? I don't... I don't know enough of the details of, I mean, I guess if you're just in the wrong place and just even, you know, I don't know if he had flippers or if he, but less than a year before that, he was attacked by a 300 pound black bear while camping in Colorado. That is terrifying. And three years ago, he was bitten by a rattlesnake while hiking in Utah. (laughs) But apparently he loves animals and spends as much time with them as he can and he doesn't blame any of these animals. Well, it's not that you should blame them, but I'm like, this guy has really bad luck. I don't think I would go into the woods with him. No, I would not. Because it sounds like he's, like, lifting up rocks and, like, trying to find snakes. Yeah. I don't know or what like he's doing to tempt all honey. of these animals that I, you usually are able to avoid. It's I feel like those are all animals that are, like, if you don't bother them, they won't bother yeah. you, generally speaking. Did I tell you we saw um, a lynx in Colorado? Similar to a bobcat. No, you didn't tell me that. 
Oh my god, it was it was the scariest thing. We were swimming of all things. We were just in this pool. Well, I was I was like in the pool. My sister was like sitting beside the pool. And all of a sudden I look over and there's this wild cat sitting on the edge of the pool. Like oh it just goodness. wandered up to the pool where we were where we were sitting and my <laughs> my sister, she her reaction was she jumped like head first into the pool and my sister does not really like getting wet like she won't go in the ocean you know uh-huh. and she like dove into the pool and i was like why did you do that and she was like well i i thought cats don't like water so i thought <laughs> i would be safe in the pool <laughs> but it was like bizarre it came right up to us i'd never seen a wild cat before and it was during the day it was in it was like maybe five o'clock in the evening crazy yeah we used to see stuff like that in arizona sometimes but wild cats but not usually that close yeah i think we saw it wasn't a bobcat but it was something like that on our back fence once it really terrified me (laughs) i was not prepared and you know we we had coyotes in our yard and stuff but that's wild dog oh we have coyotes in chicago i know okay i saw one too a block from my house and everyone was like no you didn't really see one and then i googled about how we have so many wild coyotes in chicago but i was like i know what a coyote is like i see them them all the time in arizona like i'm not imagining it and there's no way you would look at that and be like oh i must have mistook it for a dog it was right by my house too and i was like that is absolutely a coyote yeah dogs are different we know dogs. We know we dogs. dogs. <laughs> not, not just that they didn't look like Toby and Banjo. But the real research I did this week was on Friendly Fire. You know, when um, when they took over the Churchill, they pointed the guns at Bytech's spaceships mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't attack their spaceships. That's all the technical terms I used right there. But I was looking into some of the worst cases of Friendly Fire that Ooh. we've seen. Okay. So I'll... Um, This is also from List First, but I'll just pull out a couple that were more interesting. This one is called Exercise Tiger, and it was a training exercise that they designed to simulate the D-Day landings. Oh. So it was like a rehearsal in 1944 that involved eight landing ship tanks, LSTs, escorted by a corvette. They sailed into Lime Bay in order to practice the troops' you know, what they did on Mm D-Day, getting onto the beach. But there were nine patrolling German torpedo boats, which immediately attacked the transports with torpedoes and guns. Okay. So two of the LSTs were sunk, and more than 600 American lives were lost in this training exercise. on a training exercise. But despite this, the exercise decided to continue. So when the survivors had landed on the beach, part of the training was that this British cruiser was supposed to shell the beach with live ammunition. Whoa. Because I Eisenhower thought that it would help prepare men for real battle conditions. Okay. But an additional 308 American died when troops accidentally went to the wrong area of the beach, (gasps) right where these rounds were exploding. So this training exercise for D-Day cost over 900 lives. Out of mutinied. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's, that's, you're not even on the boat that long, but you'd still, that's what being on a boat will do to you, drive you to mutiny. God. This one also is from the 40s. This is Operation Viking, or the German version is like Weikinger or something. Mm. February 1940, six German destroyers were sent to intercept some British fishing vessels nearby. And they were sailing through this channel that had a lot of German mines, but a German bomber, like a plane, flew over this group of destroyers, this, like, flotilla of boats, Mm. and it made no recognition signals. So the ships thought that it was a British reconnaissance plane, and they shot at the plane. And so the bomber assumed that the crew, or that the ships were hostile because they were shooting at it. So it made two bombing runs and sank one of these ships. (sighs) Oh, no. (sighs) And basically, there's, like, a bunch of chaos as... This plane, like, runs over twice and is dropping bombs, and they're trying to save the surviving ship, and then they accidentally hit one of these mines, and one of the ships explodes, so then everyone's panicking that there's an air and submarine attack happening at the same time. 
And basically, it's like a half hour of just confusion and craziness. Someone eventually says, all the ships that are left, let's go back home. But um, almost 600 German sailors died. Could you imagine? Between a German plane, a German (laughs) set of German boats, and German mines, and just people losing their minds. Could you imagine when they finally realized what was going on? Like, who was responsible for writing that up? Yeah, I have no idea how that works yeah that's a bad day at work like who do you, who gets in trouble yeah for that yeah that's a real bad day at work oh this one's pretty sad too this is also from the 1940s makes sense um, that was that was a dangerous Not a time, great time period for us there's there are also a lot of stories from iraq and stuff but i like to look at things further back in history sometimes because it's too close I agree. To... so on may 3rd 1945 which is one day before germany's surrender there was um some german ships that came under attack by typhoon fighter bombs of the RAF. I don't really know what that means. But all three ships were sunk in the Baltic Sea by, like, they were bombs, rockets, cannon fire, whatever, all this stuff was going on. Mm-hmm. But the pilots didn't know was that the ships actually contained concentration camp survivors oh, no. as well as allied prisoners of war. So most of the SS, or several of the SS guards on board the ships were rescued, but the prisoners were left to sink and oh, other no. survivors were shot <gasps> as they tried to swim ashore. So almost 10,000 concentration camp survivors were killed in this attack. 10,000? Yep. Oh, that's So after awful. surviving the concentration camp, they get shot by quote unquote good guys. Well, you know, they um I read something similar that said a lot of the camps that were liberated from the Americans, a lot of the survivors ended up perishing because the Americans didn't know how to cope with humans who had been starved that long and they were So they overfed, they overfed them. them. And they were I've heard that before. they were like force not force feeding them, but they were just urging them to eat and eat and eat and their systems just couldn't handle it and so many perished. Whereas camps that were liberated from other countries that had seen famine or that had experience with famine, they survived because they knew how to feed them correctly. So yeah. awful. I remember like hearing something about that, like when you know, you're trying to well actually so I spent forty eight hours alone in the wilderness once. <laughs> And I didn't eat during that time. And I remember when we came back, I was really, really hungry. <laughs> okay. But, but different. They were, but... <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a much different scale. But I remember they told me to go really, really slowly. Yeah. And it was really frustrating. I'm sure. But hearing stories about people who overeat, obviously much different scale. I'm not saying that experience <laughs> is the same level at all. I can totally understand that it's not but it's like if you haven't eaten and you're looking at food too you like want you know it's so hard and you you would think if you've rescued people in this situation that you would want to encourage you know like yes let me get you food let me help you know like you're just yeah i can i can you just not knowing would definitely do the wrong thing but that's yeah so awful that's bad well on that happy note um um actually i have a happy note oh good perfect and i think maybe you caught this as well but when i was reading the second half um there was for the first time in the history of this podcast there was a very obvious perfect wonderful fan name that just popped right out to me i didn't i wasn't what what is it no okay so i remember when they were combining the Illuminae files and I uh-huh. forget who it is, but someone is, decides on the name Illuminae and someone asks what it meant. And it said, Illuminae means those who shed light or the shining ones. So we're going to be the shining ones. I like it. Okay. I, I like, remember that part of the book, but I wasn't even thinking fan names back then. And I also totally forgot about fan names. So <laughs> that is our best option for sure. But that I, I actually it's really It's so like good. It's much better than yeah. meat. Yeah. That's the other yeah. one that I thought of. <laughs> so we're going to be the yeah. shining ones. Those who shed light. I love it. I like that too. Cool. So do you have a favorite scene? Ooh, from this book or from the whole series? From this book, because we couldn't really think of a lot of good scenes that we wanted to see from Gemina. And Um, there weren't that many from this one either, I guess. I know. I mean, it's also hard because so many of the places where things are happening are relatively tight spaces, you know? I think if anything... I don't know. I liked the end with the parachute. I also just like, this isn't so much a scene, but I like when you, um, they're compiling the footage and you see, because I was always wondering like when they were talking about the surveillance footage, who was narrating that? Like especially Mm -hmm. when Ezra was 
you know, doing his space ninja, trying to get yeah. in the room, and he was so awful at it. And then you learned that it was Nick who was narrating it. Uh-huh. Like, I love those little revelations. Yep. So that's not really a, a scene. I guess I would like to see the mutiny. Yeah, I was thinking about either the mutiny or that part you mentioned earlier when they're on the ship and Garber and what's her name? Nicole, Winifred. Yeah, and Winifred are like fake mad at each other or fake. Yeah, and and then to see them, that revelation. Also, do you remember, um, I I liked the scene, I hated Lieutenant Christie, just I hated him, but I did like the scene where he sees that cat that they took in Mm -hmm. and he scares it off right before they get bombed. Like he knew it was going to happen and he scares it so the cat is like outside of the range of the missiles. And it was just, I thought that was such an interesting scene because it was like he knew that he could couldn't save his men and he had like a split second and he used it to just try and save a cat yeah and even that he like cared about this cat like he tried to get it back on the planet with him also is that the cat that's in the final picture oh maybe i was like where did this cat come from there's like seven (laughs) people we know the the fish that we've heard a ton about and then a cat (laughs) (laughs) i also i really liked that part when it was around when the friendly fire was happening and you saw a few of the ships, Bitex ships, blow up. Mm-hmm. But they were talking about who was on board and what they were planning to do. Like, one person was there just because they were trying to get their theater degree. Mm-hmm. And one person was planning to, like, be a whistleblower when they got back kind of thing. And just, I don't know. I do think, this is another reason why I'm sort of like, why are we assuming that Ezra's mom was so bad just because just because she was at Bitex if we didn't know who she was? Because so many people at Bitech, I think, were a little bit in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And, you know, and or didn't know what they were signing up for, or things got out of hand. And I'm not saying that excuses it, but there's so much, it's not like everyone who was there was a 100% evil person, That's you know? That's true. There was one, um, one sentence, and I forget who says this, but it kind of made me feel a little bit better about not learning so much about Leanne and the Biotech Corporation, because it was during that speech that they gave when they were like, and it was a great speech, he was like, this is the moment where we shake the table upon which the die lands or something like that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or he was like the die is cast today we shake the table upon which it lands and they said afterwards this is not a story of one corporation going after another it's a story of everyone who was caught in the middle and I thought that summed up the book so well yeah and that's why I also like that at the end there were some biotech people who came around or you know Mm mm-hmm like Oshiro. Yeah. And even Reese. I mean, you know. Reese, yeah. It, but like seeing, I almost wish we'd gotten more of that. More of the, there's people on both sides. Because it was really only in this third book that we saw any kind of human side of Bitech. That's true. We didn't really see any with the space pirates. Yeah. I did want Oshiro to have more of a, like more final of a redeeming sand. moment. Yeah. 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 That would be, that would actually be a good scene. I don't know that I'd actually want to watch it, but that final scene where... Oh, where Cassie the, gets shot. Yeah. She sends yeah. her medics to help her. Yeah. Because yeah. she did exactly what her father did, you know? She yeah. sent someone to help the enemy. Except it was almost too, like, her using almost the direct quote of her dad's thing was almost too, like... <laughs> On the nose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so do we want to assign a rating to this series? How many multi-dimension... No, we've done that Wormholes? Before. How many wormholes would you give this series? Out of ten. <sighs> Seven out of ten wormholes. That's what I was going to say. Yay, we're tied. Yeah. And I would still love um, some more short stories, mostly background or conclusions to literally everyone, but a lot of the secondary characters. (laughs) I was just looking at Goodreads right now, and the last review, (laughs) the last review, (laughs) one of the reviews just says, on all levels except physical, I am dead. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I just saw that and that made me laugh. (laughs) That is hilarious. I love it. Uh, well, do we have any other comments on the book, or do you want to introduce what we're reading next? I think I'm ready to move on to the next book. Me too. Okay, do you want to have the honors? Okay, so we have decided to read Veronica Roth's newer series, Carve the Mark. Is that the name of the series? Uh, it's a duology. It's a duology. The first one is called Carve the Mark. Yeah, the first one's called Carve the Mark, and the second one is called... The Fates Divide. The Fates Divide. Ooh, I'm, I'm excited for another duology. Gotta say, I love, I love me a duology. And we're going to read up to chapter 20, which is called Sira. So once you get to, st- to chapter 20, stop reading. Yep, and I think based on me accidentally flipping to a different page before that, that a lot of the chapters are called Sira. Oh, so. <laughs> 
chapter, but chapter 20. <laughs> Hopefully there's only one chapter 20. <laughs> I think so. I know nothing about this book, so... I just accidentally flipped to a different page and I saw that. I really don't know what to expect. Would you like me to read the... Oh, yeah, read the back for you. Yeah, I don't actually know much about this book either, except I like the Divergent series, so I'm excited to read something else by Veronica Roth. Okay. In a galaxy powered by the current, everyone has a gift. Sira is the sister of the brutal tyrant who rules the Shotet people. Sira's current gift gives her pain and power, something her brother exploits, using her to torture his enemies. But Sira is much more than just a blade in her brother's hand. She is resilient, quick on her feet, and smarter than he knows. Akos is the son of a farmer and an oracle from the frozen nation planet of Thuv. Protected by his unusual current gift, Akos is generous in spirit and his loyalty to his family is limitless. Once Akos and his brother are captured by enemy Shotet soldiers, Akos is desperate to get his brother out alive, no matter what the cost. Then Akos is thrust into Sira's world, and the enmity between their countries and families seems insurmountable. Will they help each other to survive, or will they destroy one another? Carve the Mark is Veronica Roth's stunning portrayal of the power of friendship and love and a galaxy filled with unexpected gifts. That sounds really good. It kind of reminds me of the Young Elites. Yeah, I'm, I'm, except it seems a little bit lighter than Young Elites, maybe. I'm curious to see this new world. Same here. And I like I like siblings in stories because I always think that adds a dimension of if people have to choose between their sibling and other stuff. And Yeah, it's like a little bit more unique than just like a romantic pairing, right? Yep. I agree. Also, I just want to say I'm very proud of us for getting through the Illuminae Files as quickly as we did because... Katie and I both decided to leave the country at the same time for, like, <laughs> weeks. We had to record all of the Illuminate Files in, like, do we, what did we do it in? Like, a two-week period? Like, a three-week period? Yeah, I think we've recorded three episodes in a week. <laughs> Twice. I think, yeah, I think we did it in, like, two weeks. Two and a half weeks, maybe. Oh, my God. So, I'm proud of us. And part of that time was when I was very sick on a different trip and we had that audio lost. I'm very impressed. Hopefully we get these last, no, we'll get these last few out on time. But. So well done. Thank you. You too. Yay. You guys still have to wait a week in between each episode though. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> draw the but we are, <laughs> but we're already done. Actually, at this point, you won't have known it'll be the last. This is the last one. one. <laughs> when you listen to this, you'll just know. We recorded this weeks ago. <laughs> we recorded it in another dimension. The parallel versions of M and K recorded this. We're already probably back from our international trips at this we point. We totally are. <laughs> oh man, oh, okay. we're so funny. But still, good good job to us. <laughs> so, do you have a joke for me before we end? Yes, I looked up some space jokes. Yes. How did the alien break his iPhone? Uh, trying to phone home? He Saturn it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call a comet wrapped in bacon? I don't know. A meteor. <laughs> that one wasn't even very funny. I don't know. These were just kind of stupid. They're... But, but I was told that these were space-themed dad jokes that were out of this world. Oh my god, that's so great. <laughs> Oh, thank you for that. No problem. Alrighty. Um, everyone, if you want to get in touch with us, email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. The and is spelled out. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at mnktalkya. Sounds good. Everyone have a good week. And bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.